Hey everybody, how's it going? Doug here, one of the host producers and creators of the Genre of Your Life podcast, bringing you another review roundup episode this week. How are we doing? Happy November. We are close to Thanksgiving. Hope you have a great month of November so far. Um, There's supposed to be a full show of the Genre of Your Life this week, um, in addition to the review roundup that Zeta and I did yesterday. But again, you know, scheduling, things happen, traveling, stuff like that, things get in the way. Uh, so there'll be no full episode this week, but I hope to have a full episode of, of the Genre of Your Life podcast for you all before Thanksgiving, so look out for that. As always, guys, you can find the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, with a full audio show on our YouTube page, youtube.com backslash Midway Avenue Productions. While you're on YouTube, while you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, hit that follow button, hit the review button, leave a rating, leave a, a review, it helps us out so, so, so much. We want to thank you. You know, we hit 1,000 followers on, on Instagram, which is a huge, guys. Seriously, huge, 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 huge. Another thing, too, is that now we are literally going on a year of the show come today, which is crazy. So thank you for a one great full year of the John Ravie Life podcast. This has been honestly one of the biggest honors of my life. Um, you know, I had this idea in my head all throughout COVID. I'm like, what? During the pandemic, like, maybe one day I can do it. I don't know. And then things are getting better. I was like, you know what? I can do a show, but who would be on? Who would I host it with? Who would I get on the show? But it's been one of the best things I've ever, you know, been a part of. I mean, you know, I created the show, obviously, but it's been very humbling and very just rewarding seeing our rea- the reactions that you guys have been following, also the reaction to the show, our out-theater reactions, whether it's me and Nick doing our reactions to Hunger Games or to, you know, Expendables 4 or Joel hopping on, saying how much he hates Disney, stuff like that. Um, it's just been really just, uh, um, I, uh, this year has been awesome. And thanks to you all, you made the show something super, super, super special. And we all, the show, thank you so much for the ongoing support. It means the world to us. And yeah, again, thank you so much. Um, but yeah, guys, on this review roundup episode, um, I'm going to be reviewing the highly, highly, highly anticipated new Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. For some context, I actually, I absolutely love the Hunger Games franchise. I really do. I mean... I remember seeing the first one with Joel when I was when we, when we were in middle school, and now seeing how much this you know franchise has progressed and the fandom. And you know, for me, it was uh, I think Catching Fire, Mockingjay Part One and Part Two were all my birthday movies when I was you know, in high school still. And Catching Fire came out ten years ago, I think this week, which is crazy to believe. That's my favorite of the franchise for sure. Um, I'll do a ranking of the movies after my review, obviously, but, um, you know, it's those, Catching Fire has a big special place in my heart because it was my 16th birthday, and I had, like, me and, like, 20 of my friends went to the bowling alley in Chicago, downtown Chicago, and we all got thrown out of that same bowling alley for bringing in McDonald's outside food, and we all kind of just, like, mobbed, kind of, like, went over to the uh, AMC in the same building to go see Catching Fire on opening weekend, and luckily... They had 20 seats available for us, and we had, like, two full rows of my friends and close friends at the time just, like, laughing, being obnoxious teenagers, you know, just being very, very rowdy, very, you know, again, we were teenagers. Um, so that movie has a special place in my heart because that was a very special birthday to me growing up, but also he'll hate me for this, but in high school, um, when we saw, we saw the movie my, for my birthday, um, Jeffrey Wright, who's a phenomenal actor, he plays one of the actors in uh, Catching Fire. And at the time, Joel kind of had like a little more like, more like a more like a you know some scruff, you know, a little bit of a goatee to, to a degree. And Jeffrey Wright also with the same glasses as Joel too. So in the movie, my dear friend Femi, uh, movies you know really quiet. We see, this, we see Jeffrey Wright's character on the screen for the first time, and Femi out loud goes, "Oh shit, look, it's Joel!" 
And our entire two rows of people are just laughing our asses off. We're crying. I feel so bad for the other people that not theater opening weekend. Like, who are these obnoxious ass teenagers ruining this opening weekend for me? It's catching fire. What the hell? But we could not stop laughing. And we were all like, yeah, it's your will. It's your will. It's your will. And Joel was so mad. He goes, man, I hate y'all. Y'all suck. And we're all making jokes, whatever. You know, we're, we're putting it on Instagram. We're putting it on Snapchat. Look, Jewel's in the movie being very obnoxious. Movie ends. We loved it. We walked out all up. Yeah, Jewel was so good in the movie. Yeah, Jewel was great. And Jewel was like, I hate y'all. I hate y'all. Shut the hell up. Shut the hell up. Um, and Femi, funny enough, goes, oh, man, it was an honor Sit next to the guy in the movie. In the movie, congrats, Joel, and we all started busting out laughing again. So, throughout like high school, we would call him movie star or Hunger Games because just because of like that day. That was really kind of like this like this monumental day for us in high school. But anyway, yes. So this weekend, uh, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes comes out this weekend. This is the prequel to the other movies. This is basically um, when Snow's kind of like, he's a mentor, this is a tenth, this is a tenth, this is like years way, 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 way before, uh, Katniss, you know, gets, you know, joins the games. Um, so it's kind of like Snow, uh, pre- young President Snow before he became President Snow, it's kind of like his rise, you know, he was, he's a mentor in this movie, he's becoming, uh, you know, he's part of the Capitol, but he's still an, he's still an outsider, even though he's in the Capitol, and he's tra- he's a mentor now to the tenth annual Hunger Games to this uh, girl from District Twelve, Lucy Lucy Gray, who's a, you know a singer. She's a very, loves the show, kind of how Katniss is, was all for the theatrics in the show as well. But he's assigned to her, assigned her to be her mentor, and it's kind of like their relationship of like you know him mentoring her. But deep down, there's some kind of good in him. But like he's trying to you know impress the capital. He wants to be one of them. He wants to get this prize money. He wants to like you know be accepted through his you know his peers and the people of the capital. And, you know, it gets a very interesting premise of, like, the Hunger Games because, as we all know, it's, you know, it's Battle Royale. It's kids from every district, two from every district, going crazy, trying to kill each other and the other people, the other kids in the district. And it's a very, it's a very wild premise as it is. But I, this is a prequel. This is going to be an exploration of kind of, like, his story, his upbringing, stuff like that. And how we kind of, like, how we kind of, like, became, how he, how the rise of kind of, like, who we became as we all know him in the, la- in the, in the, from, uh, the first Hunger Games to Catching Fire to Mockingjay Part 1 and Part 2. So it's kind of like his kind of origin story in a way. Um, I'll get to right away, actually. I love this movie. I really do. And, you know, um, Catching Fire is still my favorite, but I went in with somewhat expectations because I will say Mockingjay Part 1 and Part 2 were kind of very underwhelming for me. I thought they were okay. They weren't as good as the first two. And you can see the box office and I think critic reviews kind of like were kind of declining as well. I think that whole when the last two, uh, well, last two Hunger Games, Mocking Jane Part One and Part Two were coming out, that kind of era of YA young adult novel adaptations were kind of dying. Like Divergent was doing really bad. They canceled the last one because like no one saw it. It cost them so much money. And Harry Potter was done. It was just like, hey, you know, this YA kind of craze is done. I mean, Twilight's been done for a couple of years. What do we have? And don't get me wrong, they still made a lot of money, Mocking Jane Part One and Part Two, but they weren't the same kind of level as quality or you know. I remember seeing Mockingjay Part 2 with my with Joel and our friend Sebastian opening weekend, and there was no one there. And I'm like, wow, compared to like two years ago or three years ago when the other movies came out, what happened? Because it was a, it was like a decline. And you can argue maybe too much was maybe too much was kind of was not the good idea because I felt like because you know, like there was a movie every year, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, and it's still it's still you know they're pushing these movies out obviously, but. Maybe it was a little bit too much for the audience, or maybe too much for the fans. 
but you go on the box office pro or imdb you can see the reviews and you see the box office gotten declining you're like oh maybe people are just checking out and i think around that area again like I said, after that there was like not a lot of ya or if there was ya it was on netflix it was going to netflix or hbo or disney plus or hulu at the time whatever so i mean i think maze runner had the same issue i think the last one came out 2018 and no one saw that it was kind of kind of a, bit of a flop because we were like we're kind of done with the ya stuff that was kind of like a time a period in time for movie going and audiences so you know but anyway going to this one i was kind of like you know again i love this franchise a lot i'm, I'm a fan of it. it's a big part of you know my you know upbringing as well as my teenage years stuff like that um, you know, Francis Lawrence is coming back to direct this one. He also did Catching Fire, Mockingjay Part 1 and Part 2. He also did a really good movie called Red Sparrow, which is very underrated, very underrated with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. It's brutal. It's a very brutal movie, but it's pretty damn good if you ask me. Um, he's coming back. And then the writer of this movie, um, Michael Arndt, who I'm very, you know, as a writer myself, I'm very interesting, interested in kind of just like learning about different writers and different filmmakers. We've been doing this podcast now. And Michael Arndt has a great resume. He uh, he wrote he wrote stuff like Little Miss Sunshine, Toy Story Three. I think he won an Oscar for one of those movies. I think he won an Oscar for yeah, won an Oscar for best screenplay, best original screenplay for Little Sunshine. But anyway, yeah, Toy Story Three, which is a great movie, Oblivion, and then he wrote he also wrote Catching Fire again, which is my favorite of the franchise. I'm like, oh, his writing is awesome. He also wrote I think he worked on stuff like A Walk in the Woods, Inside Out. And his last movie he ever wrote, ever wrote, ever wrote for, or wrote, wrote with with J.J. Abrams was *The Force Awakens*, which is my favorite Star Wars movie of the Disney uh, era of Star Wars. And then after that, nothing. And I was like, wow. So I think I, what I heard, what I read online, that like he, like he retired. I'm done writing. I mean, if you go, if the way you go out, you write, you know, you write *Star Wars: Force Awakens*. Hey, man, that's a good way to retire. You go, you're on top, and that's before the kind of like the divisiveness of Star Wars kind of came after that thanks to Disney and Lucasfilm stuff like that it was just the fandom was kind of just very toxic at the time too but hey you know go on top I respect it so then I heard he came out of retirement for mocking for not mocking for a battle of songs of Britain snakes I was like oh hell yeah I'm so into this because a he wrote my favorite Star Wars movie of the Disney era but he also wrote my favorite Hunger Games I'm like this is awesome so I was already hyped for that regardless so I was like let's go we're back in this what's awesome but again going in Excited, but also had some kind of you know, reservations. You know, again, I like the director, I like the writer, I like the cast. Um, big Bio Davis fan, I'm a huge Jason Schwartzman fan, uh, definitely a fan of uh, Peter Dinklage. I'm a newfound fan of Virtual Ziegler. I know she has some controversy with her Star sort of Snow White, you know, take, and it's, you know, not the best PR move from her, I would say, but you know, teach their own. But I thought she was fantastic in uh, Spielberg's West Side Story. I mean, she was incredible. She has a you know, great range as an actress, but also she can sing. Oh my, she has a beautiful voice. But I, found I knew, I, well, my Siri. Uh, but I, I, I knew, I knew that. But also, I didn't know, I didn't know the guy, the actor playing Young Snow. And I'm like, cool. They didn't cast like Timothy Chalamet or Ansel Elgort or you know Finn Wolfhard or whatever. Like. This was a this was a this was a uh, a newcomer a new actor. I was like, awesome! I like that. I like I like seeing that. We're I like seeing new new talent a new talent in a big franchise like this. And his name was Tom Blythe. Um, yeah, I'm sorry about this. This again, I love this movie. I really really did. Um, you know, right the movie when the movie starts off, it it brings you in of like, hey, here here we are. We're setting the mood like this. Here's the vibe. Let's go. And it was so cool that the opening shot was me next this in IMAX at the press screening. And the IMAX, the first scene is IMAX, and I was like, "Yep, you're in," because it's it, it's a very capturing scene. 
but how immersive the IMAX is, it's like it really brings you in. It kind of hooks you in and like, here we go. You're into this now. And again, I'm a, you know, I'm a big IMAX nerd and fanboy. I love that. Hey, guess what? Boom. Opening shot, IMAX. You're into this now. We're here now. It's the same the world building. It's the same the kind of immersive nature of the film. Loved it. Loved them. Okay, cool. And then as it progresses, you're like, all right, here we go. We're, we're in for the ride. This might be my second favorite of the movie. Uh, second favorite of the franchise, excuse me. Here's why. The acting in this is superb from everyone, from Jason Schwartzman to Viola Davis to Tom Blythe to Rachel Ziegler, um, Peter Dinklage. Um, the list goes on and on and on. The, all, the, all the tributes, all the other mentors. Um, you know, this, this acting is top tier. And I think that, you know, in a lot of YA and other kind of like properties like that, or book adaptations, the acting could be, you know, hit or miss, could be a little too much or be a little too over underdone. You just don't know. I truly thought the acting in this was superb and very, very impressive. I was like, wow, everyone's bringing their A game to this and really committing to this to this adaptation because, you know, there's, there's still a fan base for this movie, even though it's been now eight years since the last one. So they're trying to bring something back, which is, again, it's been gone for eight years. But hey, you know what? We have a lot of fan base here, a lot of people love this book as well. We got to do it justice. And I thought everyone was casted perfectly. I didn't feel anyone was either not casted well or like, oh, it could have been this other person, other person's role. No, I thought everyone was casted to a T very, 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 very well. Um, the chemistry between the characters of Snow and Lucy is very intriguing because, you know, they're both people, they're both people who, sh- who have struggled before. And I won't spoil too much, but like, you know, you, you'd see, you see sn- how Snow is struggling. Even though he's the he's in the privileged you know capital, and Lucy, who's from the districts, who has struggled her whole life, and it's like you can see that they're both broke. They have both come from broken you know backgrounds, but their status of like class and where they live is different. But they're very similar in their own ways. I'm like, oh, I like that. And I thought the chemistry between both Tom Blythe and Rich Leader was very believable, very authentic, and like you, you felt for them of like, well, I kind of want to see them win. I kind of want to see them get out of this and win. How they get that? How they get through that? I don't want to spoil it, but it's like it's very, very intriguing. It's very captivating for sure. Like I said. This movie is very immersive. I give this a lot of props to Francis Lawrence, his DP, cinematographer, everything. Um, again, he uses IMAX for that. And I love that. This again, it's yes, there are there are a lot of CGI. Don't be wrong, but the way he, the way Francis Lawrence and his DP and, and, his, and his whole cinematography team, this you know, capture Pan Am, capture the Capitol and the arena. It's very immersive, and it felt like you're in it. And I think it's why they shot with IMAX because again, shot IMAX. It's you have more, you know, room to kind of like show like how big this world is, how immersive this is. And I think that I like seeing more filmmakers take the chance on IMAX. IMAX. So IMAX. This IMAX is a one nine zero. It's not the full. The full IMAX is one four three, which you know, you know, uh, Christopher Nolan shoots on. I think Jordan Peele shot Nope on that. Dune. Dune was shot on that too. But the the nor. I guess the. Not the full, but like the I guess more easy, more attainable traditional IMAX is the one nine zero. No Way Home was shot one nine zero. A lot of the Marvel films are shot one nine zero. We we don't shoot with IMAX cameras. You shoot you shoot films for IMAX. Top, Top Gun Maverick is a great example. That movie was shot for IMAX, not with IMAX. And I thought it was very smart for Francis Francis Lawrence to shoot this movie on IMAX, just because he shot the same he shot Catching Fire with IMAX, and that really worked of how he's able to kind of like capture just the games. The how dark and how brutal it is, and how big these worlds are. I think if you didn't have IMAX for that, you'd be like, I'm kind of missing something to a degree. 
But him having the IMAX was a very smart move. I'm glad we saw it in IMAX. I would recommend seeing this IMAX for sure. It's just really, really smart how he able to film this this world in the best way possible, which is IMAX. Um, you also what I love about it too is that in Catching Fire, there's just, when she goes up, when she goes up, the, something happens to Katniss Everdeen. I, I won't spoil for that for that Catching Fire if you haven't seen Catching Fire, which I recommend. Uh, when she goes up to the games, you know, there's a big dramatic moment happens to her. She's going up the tube up to the games up to the arena, and I love how. Lawrence and his DP shoots this. The the black the black you know the white the black bars on the screen slowly go away and they go away they go away go away and then boom it's the IMAX it's the IMAX shot and I love that because he brought it back here when they go to the get when they go to the arena you see the same thing the black bars so they go up and down they go away they go away they go away and then boom it's full IMAX and I'm like oh yes bring that back I love when I love when filmmakers kind of like really utilize their IMAX to scene transitions and shot transitions. I just, I'm, I'm a sucker for that. And I love that you brought it back for this one. I love that, you know, I think in the other four movies, we see like, yeah, if, if you're in the capital, you're eating good. You have the best food, you have the best fashion, you have the best culture, you have the best, you know, you have all these resources that make you feel, you know, rich and wealthy and privileged. And this one, it really shows that, hey, even though you might be in the capital, People are still struggling. People are still being evicted from their housing and their apartments and houses. People can't put food on the table for their family. They can't afford their medication. They're getting sick. And I, I love that they showed that in this movie because I feel like we were we kind of like oh they're all kind of like rich snobs in the capital. I love to kind of flip the switch and kind of show people who are struggling in the capital. And Snow is one of them. Snow is you see Snow just really kind of like he's hungry. He's hungry. He's desperate for food. He's you know he's he knows what he knows what it be to be hungry and to be just tired and just be like broken down. And I'm like I love that. I love the different approach of showing the broken side of the capital. Um, even though again it shows it shows like you know even though there's there's difference between the capital and the districts. There's people are still struggling on both sides. There's people who are still in poverty on both sides. You know what? I think it's like you know what people are very more similar than you think they are different. I, I love that we kind of explores that theme of that, um, and I loved how they showed the us the original the, the original arenas. You know, in the Katniss days, the arenas like you no know, like very high tech. It's very built up. It's a dome almost in some time. It's very kind of like updated, or whatever. They show the original arena that's been there for the past nine games. You know, this is the tenth one in, in this movie. And you shut, and you see the, you see the, you see blood, you see blood on the walls, you see the, you see a lot of remains from the other games. I'm like, kind of the haunting, you know, like if these walls could speak, what would they say? What did they see and stuff like that? And I really, I'm really glad they, they showed us like the entire arena, like what it, what it is, what it, what, what it used to be compared to what we saw in the Katniss days. And again, I love seeing the remains, the blood, like the, you know, the broken down. It's, it's still intact, but like you can see like. Things have been left behind in the past nine games. I'm like, ooh, I really, really like that. Um, like I said, cinematography to me, score, production design, VFX is top tier. I think, I think you know, with a budget like this, also with a franchise like this, you know, you got to bring your A game with all, the, with all your production and your visual effects and everything, stuff like that. Everything was top tier top tier and I'm like wow like you guys made me care about Hunger Games again I, I want to watch the other ones now because you know this was Nick's first Hunger Games that I ever saw and I'm glad going with the prequel first now you can watch the you know one and Catching Fire Mocking Jay part one to part two he's good to go but I, I think everything was top tier and I love that yes there's a lot of things that are VF that are on that are you know shot on a soundstage or a studio or green screen 
let's point out that that mob post that whatsoever. But when you when they do tra- they do transition from like the big sets and the you know the CGI scenes stuff like that and the big you know the you know soundstage or whatever and they're on location, the on location shots are just beautiful and the cinematography is just incredible. I'm looking up who who did the cinematography for the, he did the last couple of movies with Francis Lawrence. Let me see. Joe Willem Joe Willems, my props to you, my friend. You have a fantastic eye for certain shots. And making things look just really outstanding. Um, yeah, he shot. Yeah, he, he shot. Kept uh, catching fire. Bucky J in part one, part two. And he shot. And he shot about a songbird snake. So, yeah, his cinematography on this is is remarkable. And when they're really on the location, you feel like the the cold. You feel the wet of like the rain. You feel like the sun. You feel the summer stuff like that. You feel like the dismay when they're in the arena. You 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 feel the locations. And I'm like, wow. Maybe it's also props to actually an IMAX. Don't get me wrong. But the cinematography really kind of transports you to this, like this, to Panem, to the de- to the to the capital, to the district, to the districts. It's really remarkable, and I love that. Like, even though this is still a big but big, big budget movie, they're still utilizing their sets to the fullest, and they're still using, shooting on location, getting the green, getting the blue, the water, the green of the grass, the sun, you know, the the, cold, the white of the snow, whatever. I I really I really give this movie props for having a good blend of on location sets and also using. Using the uh, green screen and soundstage as well. Um, loved. There's a lot of great camera work and uh, uh, establishing shots of characters, locations. Like it's it's very again. You feel the spectacle of this movie a lot. I think Francis Lawrence has now you know he's now been in this role now for more than ten years. He knows certain shots. He knows how to like really capture Panem and the district and the capital stuff like that. It, 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 he does a great job of kind of just like really really bring the cameras to like the faces and to like the um to their hair to their costumes whatever you just it, it looks just again it's the shots are just really establishing what they are what what this is and i think that the camera work on this is by far might be might be some of the best of the franchise might even be better than catching fire times i'm like wow the way he has the shots angled on viola davis in her in her batshit crazy lab or how the cameras on the tributes during uh, the game, or the bodies that rise from the tributes, or the on the mentors in this big room, or the big screen where everybody's watching the games. It's just it's shot just really top tier, almost like a masterclass of camera shots and angles. And I was like, whoa, I am blown away by this. I'm very impressed with this. Um, also, the way that the camera the camera uh, captures the battle scenes or um, the killings or the deaths. Like you're you're very you're, it's like for a PG thirteen movie it's very brutal and it re- and it really shows of like whoa like it shows like how like how close the camera gets to like the the brutality of it all and I was like you you're you're in it you feel the brutality you feel the darkness of like oh my gosh this is just kids killing each other what's going on here but again the camera work is a great job it's kind of just capturing all that uh, relentlessness and also just the brutality of it all. Um, Again, really top, really really top tier. Um, I, I, you know, again, brutal. Said this, this might be one. I think this is like right behind this catching. I've been catching fire. Might be more of that. Forget it. For a PG thirteen movie, there were some deaths and kills where I was like, oh my god, this is PG thirteen. They're getting a lot away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, which I'm not, which I'm not against at all. I mean, wow, I'm, I was very impressed with how much they got away with. I'm like, it's brutal at times. I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, I, lo- and also I love showing how brutal these games were. Brutal these games were. 
before Katniss. You know, because Katniss now during her games, it's like they have equipment, they have they have you know they have weapons, they have you know those supplies. In the tenth movie, they got bricks, they got swords, they got pitchforks, they got sword, they got other knives. It's like they had like they have like the most basic weapons and the most basic. Uh, ways to kind of defend themselves defend themselves and i love seeing that like wow we're seeing the kind of like how how like how down bad how how this brutal it was originally to i mean i wouldn't say the candidates are polished get me wrong but like you're seeing really how like how far these games how far these games have come since since now and then it's like whoa it, it's, show, it's showing a lot of just like wow like they really had like simple knives to stab someone or a pitchfork or you know a pitchfork or just kind of just like a machete, to, you know, just to kill someone. It's like, well, you don't have all the fancy stuff. You just have these really kind of just like simple and basic tier weapons. I'm like, wow, and it, it, it sticks with you more, I think, than like the little high flashy weapons that they had, or the crossbow, or, or the bow and arrow that she had and Kenneth had in the movie in her movies. I'm like, whoa. So it shows that shows that a lot. Um, you know, what I think this movie does really well too is really hitting the emotional arcs. I think there's a lot of emotional arcs in the other in other movies. Don't get me wrong. But in this one, like the emotion, it gets really emotional at times. There's one character I'm, I'm not gonna say what um, that has special needs, and you know, my brother has special needs. He has Down syndrome, and in the, in the movie, this girl has Down syndrome too. And the moment you see her, the moment I saw her, I was like, I, I started getting emotional. I was like, Oh my god! It's like, what if my brother was, you know, had, was you know had to be was called to be in the Hunger Games? I how do how do I how do I you know, live with myself? And that to me really pulled on my my emotional strings of like, wow, like. I can relate to this to a degree of like I'm I'm kind of watching my brother if he had to like you know if he had to do this this was real life like how would I process this and you know again I love seeing that I love seeing kids with people with special needs gain their time gain their recognition you know you know seeing their time on the big screen but it re- there's sometimes where it really hits the emotional cord and I think that Francis Lawrence uh, Michael Arndt and his co co writer really do a good job of establishing like. This is messed up. There's a lot of there's a lot of heartbreak. It's emotional. Like, you know, how, don't get too attached because you know you know how this ends. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But they don't they don't they don't shy away from how the emotional times and you know, um, uh, the emotional aspects of the characters and their backgrounds. How 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 sad this is because this is sad. If you're seeing these kids, you know, battle to the death until one wins, it's like, oh my gosh. So again, I mean. I'm only 25, but it's, I feel different than how I felt about maybe when I saw the first one. I was 13, 14 years old. It's you know, it's like grown up, but matured a little bit. But it they do a great job of, of managing the spectacle, but really, really hitting on some really amazing emotional uh, aspects of the of the story. The humor works. Oddly enough, you know, the humor works really well. And what Nick and I both said in our our uh, theater reaction that the humor doesn't feel crowbarred in or forced in like it feels natural and like it feels like at place i think you see like it's kind of like these big budget you know spectacle movies i think marvel's very guilty of this now than they ever been it's like you know they try like oh sad scene emotional scene natural scene how about some tacos it's like wait wait what like they they don't a joke throwing the joke and it's like yeah okay but it didn't feel earned or didn't feel like that was the right place but i think with i think with this movie like when the humor is there, the humor really works. I think Jason Schwartzman is definitely like the funniest part of the movie. Um, again, there was times where me and Nick were just laughing our asses off. Or the whole theater was laughing their asses off. I'm like, wow, there's killing going on, but we're still laughing thanks to Jason Schwartzman's character. Um, it, it's it, again, I, me and him were very surprised that the humor worked the way how, how much of it, but also the way it did too, because it, it didn't take away from 
the brutality of it all or the sad, the sad nature of, of like the environment that they're in, the humor works. And I, I'm really glad, again, I'm glad that it didn't feel forced, whatever, but again, I'm a big sportsman fan. I think he was awesome in this. He's one, one of my favorite characters in this movie. He's kind of playing Stanley Tucci's character in a bit. Like, they're two different characters. Two different characters. I'll put that right now. But like, you can see like some similarities between Stanley Tucci's character and his character in this one, but there's different time periods for sure. Uh, you feel for these characters. Like I said, you feel for these characters. Like the ones with the most tragic backgrounds, like you just feel for them. Like you want them to win, but you know how this ends. You're just like, oh, I'm rooting for these people, but like, how will they get out of this? How will they survive? And again, I, I, for, I think what Francis Lawrence does really well as well as, as the writing is that they really dive deep. Not, not, not deep, but they, they really, they really, dive, they really, they really showcase like how a lot of these tributes just have broken backgrounds. That they just they come, they come from nothing, or they come from you know parents that are gone or dead or family members that are just gone or working or you know just like you know working their lives away. So it's just like wow, you you feel for them and you feel for them and you're just, you're show you you their tragic backgrounds really kind of feed to the story of like how sad it is. And I think for a prequel, even though we know how sad and tragic it is in the other movies. They do a good job of keeping that same level of tra- of tragedy and uh, dramatics to this. And I was very, very, very impressed with this. But also, again, it, 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 it shows of like how messed up this is, how fucked up this is, and how just like this is 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 uh, so despicable. But it's the world that they live in. Um, the progression of Snow and how he became evil and the arc was very fascinating because like uh, you can see his hatred build at times. But what Nick said, and also I think I think he said in the our reaction, or maybe even before too, is that like you can see like he's a pretty decent dude for the most part. But like one thing will snap, and he goes apeshit. He goes fucking nuts. And you're just like, whoa! Like you were fine a minute ago. What happened? But like the smallest thing, you can see how how unhinged and how unwell he's at times. Even though he's kind of this, he's very charming. He's very charming. You, you think he means well. But one thing will go off, and he goes, he goes bonkers. You're like, oh, here we go, and they, they're kind of poking holes at his kind of just like his ego and his kind of like his charm because he, we we all know how we all, we all know who he, who he becomes, but you see, you definitely see the progression slowly build and his outbreaks and how he becomes just like, an unhinged and unwell and just becomes very just like angry at the world and the, his environment. It's like wow, they're they're really showing this progression quite well and also how we're getting there so like that um Ariel went over how i thought you know princess lawrence to me i think this is this his direction is very rivals of the first one he did which was catching fire it was, it was stuff like oh i am legend which i love so much also again i love red sparrow a lot too so i feel like this is one of his definitely strongest director uh directing uh um um uh, uh jobs i feel like you know yes again he's known this role for more than 10 years but this means I think he definitely rivals Catching Fire as his best uh, direction of all the movies he's done personally. I think he's still the right guy uh, to do this to these movies because I feel like you know prequels and sequels. You know, like who do you get on board? Who's still involved? Whatever. And I think you know what's what David Yates. David Yates did uh, Harry Potter, Order of the Phoenix, uh, Half Blood Prince, Nephew House. He did four movies, and then he was brought on to do the Fantastic Beast movies, and you know. I love the first Fantastic Beast movies. I really first Fantastic Beast movie. I really do, but two was kind of like, eh, and three to me was kind of like, yeah. Also, I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. Like that, that that's my franchise. I grew up with that 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 friend. I love all the books with my dad. Like, that's a big part of my life. So I still think he was the right guy because you know he still has his stamp on the movies. 
I think it was smart for Francis Lawrence to come back to it. People, people might disagree on that. I, I can't, I can't, I won't argue with that. I feel like maybe people are like, oh man, give, give a new director, give a new director a chance. You know, maybe he or she can like, you know, really kind of like bring something new to it. I can't disagree with that. I can't argue with that. But to me, I was like, I do like consistency in films. And I'm glad that, A, they brought back Michael Arndt to be the, write, this, write the screenplay, but also they brought back Francis Lawrence too. So I'm like, you know what? I like consistency in movies. I'm glad they brought him back. I was very impressed with his direction and his storytelling in this. Um, to me, again, like I said, I said this, to me, this reminded me of how great the first Fantastic Beasts film was, and then how two and three coming up. Eh. So I would hope that they they want to do. I mean, they do another one. We'll see how this one does, both you know, box office and critic wise. I think me, I think my fellow critics are not liking the way that much as I thought they were gonna like it. I think it's like now sixty five percent Rotten Tomatoes, so not terrible, but like not the best either. But uh, it, to me, I think you know it still captures the essence and like the magic in a way of the other movie of like Catching Fire and the first Hunger Games. Is how you know the first Fantastic Beasts really kind of captured the magic of Harry Potter and the Wizarding World, and then it kind of went, kind of went you know downhill, kind of went downhill from there. You're like, oh, this wasn't as special as I thought it was going to be. So that's just me personally, but cause I really love this movie a lot. But it's all movies and all TV shows that I've seen and watched. I do have some cons. I do, I know. Boo, boo, tomato, tomato, tomato. No, I, I, I have some cons, unfortunately. Um, there are some things that aren't mentioned again, and I'm very big on like you know following up on things you establish or people that are introduced. And movies or shows and certain characters that are not mentioned again there's one character in particular that like something happens to her and it's like never brought up again it's like whoa that was kind of a pretty big deal in the scene like where did she go where she, what happened to her so i was like all right and there's also i mean other characters too i, I won't spoil them, but like i'm like oh yeah what happened to them what happened to why aren't they back like what happened to them are they still relevant it's just kind of show like they're kind of just there kind of just like all right they're just there but like but up again, like I can say consistency. You know, if you're gonna establish, if you're gonna introduce something or introduce a character, and then something happens to them or something kind of happens to them that off screen or like on screen, it's like you know, bring it up again. It's like, well, why did you even bring it up in the first place? You could have just been like, hey, we're not including this. But that kind of felt. What I'm seeing a lot from my fellow critics and the audience audiences online is that this movie's in three parts: part one, part two, and part three. I believe the the book is in three parts as well. It's all one movie. I'm, I I think that the first two acts are incredibly strong, very strong, very solid, very tight. I do think the third act falls off just a bit, because it's a big 180 from what was going on in the movie. You're like, okay, we're here, okay, intrigued us. I was still very intrigued, I was still very interested in the story, but I think a lot of people are saying the same thing, that the, the third act is, feels a little bit like rushed, that... There could have been spent more time with these certain pe- these certain characters in these certain you know this certain environment. This movie was at two hours and forty minutes. Again, I to me again also I thought the pacing was great. I thought the pacing was like very sharp and very tear. It definitely drags a little bit in the third act, third you know part, which again I I I can't disagree. I I, I didn't bother me too much. I will say, but acts part one and part two very definitely feel the strongest out of all three. So I see the criticism of like, oh man, they should, more t- they should have spent more time exploring these characters' depths and relationship, you know, post part one and part two. So I, I do think this movie could have benefited from being a bit longer. Again, I don't mind long movies at all. You keep us engaged, you have a good pace, let's go for it. Um, so I think that could have benefited a little bit too. I mean, people were, again, I'm glad they didn't do this part one, part, part, the movie's in two parts. I've been like, like this movie came out the next year, that part two of the book. 
that to me would have been like, all right, because I think you kind of lose, lose momentum how Mocking J Part 1 and Part 2, you're like, okay, it's a year later, you know, whatever, sure. So I get it, but I will say Acts Part 1 and Part 2 are definitely the strongest of the entire movie. There's Snow... Snow's family plays a big part of this movie, and you know his father is brought up a lot in this movie, but I feel like it was kind of like it just it's just mentioned and talked about, but they don't do a deep dive or exploration to like his father, you know, because Penny is such a big deal to the capital and people in the capital, but like it's kind of like oh yeah, your father this and your father that. I think they could have gone. I think they could have explored. I think they explored his his dad and Snow's dad and like you know his ba- his dad's background and we know his impact that still lingers in the capital because it's brought up a lot. But they only they only kind of they don't they don't dive too deep into it. I'm like ooh, they should have maybe spent more time kind of like explain the kind of like the significance and the importance of his dad and like the impact that he has on on uh, Colanius or whatever Snow, Snow's life. And how it's affecting him as an adult, and how it will affect him, you know, down the road. So, I thought it was kind of like, kind of like, oh, I wish they kind of explored more of that. We've been, I think, it's been very intriguing, very interesting to me, at, at least. Um, Hunter Schaefer, who's, who's great in Euphoria, she's phenomenal in Euphoria. Um, she plays um, uh, her uh, his cousin uh, Tigress in this, and I think Tigress is seen or mentioned in the other movies. I want to say it's almost like she did. I'm like I don't remember her person. So I, 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 I do the whole rewatch of the franchise too. I think she's underutilized because she's a great actress and she's a lot of the promotion, a lot of the marketing. She has maybe a moment or two to shine, but I feel like they kind of underutilized her because they have a their chemistry between um, Tom Blythe and Hunter Schaefer is very, very also very, very intriguing, very, very um, um, attractive to a degree, but. And also, her character is very kind of like has a lot to offer, but they don't feel they don't kind of they don't use you don't use her to like the extent that I thought that they were they were going to use her or like use her to like really kind of like uh, impact the story. So I was like, huh, okay, I guess I, I guess, but like I think they kind of did her a little bit dirty. I think they should have maybe used her a bit more, half or more of an impact on Snow's life and his kind of story. I think that would have been like kind of cool to like also explore. But again, also great actress still think you, you, you definitely want to utilize a, a, talent, a talent like that too. Um, as I said, said the, 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 the part three of the of the, of the three part uh, movie, um, Lucy's and Snow's relationship at the, in the third part of the movie definitely feels developed, but it doesn't feel fully developed. Where I'm like I said, I think more time being spent would have kind of benefited the movie. Because there are, like, you want to see, like, how they progress post uh, part one and part two and, like, what's going to happen with them now, whatever. Um, and also, like I said, like I said, part three, like I said, part, part three of the movie, like I said, there's a thing that kind of go unresolved or kind of, like, on, you know, like, what happened. Kind of, like, oh, yeah, they, here's what happens, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, well, it's a pretty big thing kind of to gloss over. So I would have spent more time kind of, like, wrapping up with a kind of, like, with more, like, with more clear, with a better, like, um, cathartic closure in a way so that to me again I said I want to think about it again I, I love this movie but I do think part three of the movie definitely struggles at times to like really you know what do you want to establish what do you want to like leave off at so you know it is what it is um and also too you know I think Catching Fire does this really well and I think the first one is, does it pretty well too is that they don't spend a lot of time setting up the tributes the other tributes, other than you know some uh, Lucy and I mean one or two, I feel like they, kind of, they get they get, they get the capital and they cool the game starting. I think the f- 
first Hunger Games and the Catching Fire do a good job kind of establishing the other tributes, who you're gonna be fighting, who you're gonna be, you know, you know, you know, surviving again, stuff like that. And I do think maybe more time kind of spent with the tributes, not a lot, but the way they did with part with the first Hunger Games and Catching Fire would have been kind of interesting to see, like, okay. This is this person. This is this person. This person is that. I mean, they they kind of show it during the actual game, during the actual battle, but from from being a fan of this franchise and seeing them establish other tributes before a bit better, that to me I think would have also been beneficial to the movie as well. But with that said, like I said I really love this movie. I really I'm seeing it again for Zeta's birthday on Friday. I'm sorry, on Saturday this weekend. So I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Um, like I said second of my second of, of the of the franchise right behind Catching Fire. So I would rank them. Actually, before I'll give this movie honestly a solid eight point five out of ten. I really, really dug this movie a lot. Like I said, see it in IMAX. The IMAX cinematography in, this, in the sh- camera is really kind of makes the movie kind of feel like larger than life, a big spectacle. Um, so see it in IMAX for sure. See it, see it in the biggest IMAX you can. See it in the, your local IMAX, whatever. If you drive to an IMAX, see it there too. But it's definitely worth the IMAX for sure. Not IMAX Dolby, but I think you would get some really great. Um, IMAX cinematography, if you see it in IMAX. Um, like 8.5 out of 10. Loved it. Had a good time with it. Came in to see it again. So I would rank the franchise now. I would say Catching Fire, still my favorite one. This one. Then I would say the first Hunger Games. And then I would go Mockingjay Part 2. I like Mockingjay Part 1 Part 2. I, I do, but like they're not really kind of like... Part 1 is very kind of forgettable, if you ask me. Um, I haven't seen them in a long time, but I'll probably rewatch them this weekend or maybe next week. Um, but uh, yeah, part two, Mockingjay Part two, and then part one, because there, there are some things in part two of Mockingjay that I really like, like ooh, some of the scenes, some of the kind of like the uh, the battle scenes, the kind of like, survival stuff is kind of interesting too. But yeah, so Catching Fire, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes, uh, the first Hunger Games, Mockingjay in part two and part one. So like I said, if they do more, I'm de- I would definitely watch more. But I think this one is a very, very, very good setup to like the movies that we have. Already, so yeah, guys, see it this weekend. See it over Thanksgiving. Um, like I said, I'm very curious to see how this movie does uh, box office wise, opening weekend, if the legs will have, have good legs or not, how the fans will react to this movie. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And if so, the movie, let us know in the, in the comments down below, whether it's on a Spotify, Apple Podcast, or on YouTube, or DM us on Instagram, or put it on our uh, theater reaction on Instagram, we or TikTok, whatever. We want to hear your thoughts. But yeah, guys, like I said, you know, like I said. I like close this up, you know. Like I said, it's officially been a year. We do we've been doing the show. Um, hope your audio has been sounding better. I remember our first comment ever well, on YouTube a year ago. Nice, nice person. He was. They were just saying like, "Hey, like, interesting." Um, not gonna lie, your audio could use some work. And the second comment was, "Man, your audio fucking sucks." And I replied back like, "Thank you." Uh, and that's when we were still on YouTube. You know, I was using like like a cheap gaming headset from Amazon. Like, I didn't have a mic at that time. I didn't have like I didn't know how to like mix and record audio. Like I used to mix all the tracks together, and I was like, what you supposed to do that? I was doing all the wrong things. I was doing all the wrong things that you shouldn't do. But I know a lot more now when, when I edit the show. The boys, when I edit the show on my own. So, like I said, you know, a year of doing this show has been really just remarkable. You know, we're still growing. Like I said we hit one thousand followers. So keep on following us. You know, keep on liking our reactions and our reviews and listen to the show. Like I said, but I said that really, when you guys review and, and rate the show. Give us how many stars you want, whatever. Give us a review, whether it's on Spotify or Apple or YouTube or but most on the podcast feed, whether it's on Amazon, Amazon, Pandora, whatever you listen to the show on. The reviews and ratings really mean the world to us because it shows that you are engaged with us. You are listening to the show. You like the show. And it means, again, it truly means the world to me 
into the boys. I know that for sure. So thank you guys. Thank you so, so, so much for the ongoing support. It really means the world to us. Like I said, too, hopefully the boys and I will be back next week with a full episode for you all during Thanksgiving week. Hopefully before. If not on Thanksgiving or the day after, just listen to on the on the car ride. If you're, if you're traveling somewhere, uh, you listen to the show. But anyway, yes, if you are traveling this week, Thanksgiving, safe travels. You know, be safe, be well, hug your family, hug your friends. You know, enjoy this time with loved ones. You know, it's the holiday season. Enjoy yourself. You know, have fun, eat some good food. You know, do some good drinks. Go wild, go crazy. It's family time. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing my family, spending time with Zay's family for Thanksgiving, and always spending time with you guys. So thank you so much, and again. Enjoy your weekend, enjoy the Hunger Games, and as always, guys, we'll see you at the movies.